Mandy Kayato felt ill when she watched the Holy Grail But she told us where we stand Ferris Bueller was there with his spiky hair Harrison Ford played a terrible man Then something went wrong for Miss Kate Gilleran She got caught in a celluloid jam Then at a deadly pace Kal-El came from outer space This is how the message ran Science fiction Double feature Dr. X Will build a creature See androids fighting Brad and Janet Mal Reynolds goes to I knew Christian Bale was doomed to fail when the Joker planted a bomb and I really got bombed when I saw John Crichton fight a scaring and imagine his mom Matthew Vos says great shots Give him the hots and he goes on about them on and on But when bad guys arrive Bruce Willis has to stay alive And have a showdown with Alan Rickman Science fiction Double feature Dr. X Will build a creature See androids fighting Brad and Janet has Mandy seen Forbidden Planet At the late night Double feature Picture show I wanna go Whoa, 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 whoa the late night double feature picture show by RKO
Welcome to the show. This is episode number 25 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show on your late night double feature podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. How do you do? I? I'm Matthew Bose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying really hard not to laugh. <laughs> today on the show, we are joined by Kate Gillivan, who hosts the Dollhouse podcast, Did I Fall Asleep?, where she, as Monkey, and her co-host Socks, watch and discuss every episode of Joss Whedon's TV show. Kate, welcome to Pop Culture Deprived. Thank you both for having me. As you just said, I am Kate Gillerin, and I do that thing along with various other things like eating, sleeping, etc. Really? Those are important things. Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you do those things. <laughs> Before we kick off our conversation about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Matthew and I would like to announce that we have opened a Patreon for Eloquent Gushing. If you're subscribed to our feed, you should see a separate episode with more information drop into your podcast list, and you can find more details by going to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. If you want to help support Pop Culture Deprived and Mandy's show 30 Second Chew, as well as helping us grow and develop new content, this is a great way to do so. The site to go to is patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Uh, the dot is next to the comma. And there's other keys in there for you to press as well. But we really hope you go and check it out and let us know what you think and can support if you are able to. So, on with the podcast. We are here today to talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. This is a show I've looked forward to doing for a very long time, basically since we started doing this. This was one that stood out. It's unbelievable that someone hasn't watched this one. Mandy, why have you never seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Okay, it's not fair for you to say it's unbelievable that somebody hasn't watched this. unbelievable. You say that every week. I mean, give <laughs> no, me a break. this and Ghostbusters. <laughs> okay, but, you know, if I had seen them, we wouldn't be doing this really awesome podcast episode. So give me a break. Okay, so... Anybody who's listened to the show knows that I had a very sheltered, conservative childhood. That's really why I never watched Rocky Horror, because literally the only thing I knew about this show was that Tim Curry was in it, and he dressed like a woman and wore lingerie. And when you come from a conservative background, <laughs> that's really, really terrible. And then it was a little bit scary. Even as I got older and moved away from the more conservative stuff, People, everybody that I knew watched it, talked about it. I live um, in very close to Raleigh, North Carolina, and I went to an arts high school. So everybody talked about Rocky Horror Picture Show mm -hmm. and going to see, and at least here in Raleigh, there are still Friday night midnight showings of Rocky Horror. They were doing them when I was in high school. They're still doing them now. And so all of these people that I knew would go and do it. And so I was kind of peripherally aware of what was going on. But it was so scary to me because of how I had been raised and the thoughts that had been, like, just put into my head. And so I never, I never went to do it because sheltered me was scared. And now I'm not. And I've watched it now. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> I don't have that sheltered background. 
the film stands out for me in broadening my understanding of the world. I saw it probably age 14, something like that. We had it taped off TV and I just watched it. I grew up in a couple of very small villages and towns in the south of England. 99.9% white people. As far as I was concerned, everyone was straight. I understood what gay people were and what lesbians were conceptually, but I didn't think that I knew anyone. And then suddenly seeing this that celebrated sexuality, that made it fun, that showed it as a spectrum rather than just a sort of Boolean option. It was just absolutely eye-opening to me. And at the same time, it's a really fun musical. It's got lots of numbers you can really get behind, you can dance to and you can sing along with. So it was really eye-opening in a really good way. So not sheltered, but not not experienced, that's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, but you watched it when you were 14, so you're definitely doing way better than me. <laughs> But but as, as you've probably noticed, I watch every film I can. So and True. and the fact the fact that the film opens listing lots of old other films, <laughs> it had me from Hello basically. Yeah, this this is a movie that was kind of made specifically to delay you, wasn't yeah, it? Pretty much. Kate, when you saw this on the list, you you jumped to this saying you'd want to come and record with us. Um, what's your background with it? What's your your what does it mean to you? Well, I um I also did not have a very sheltered upbringing. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was probably 12 or 13, like any good mall goth from central New Jersey. My friend and I were obsessed, and then the shadow cast and audience participation, all of that came to a theater right by us, and every week, that's where we were. It took us maybe one time going to decide to go full-on magenta and Columbia every time. The hardest part of the costume to find for Columbia were, were the blue socks. When you oh, really? need to find blue socks, it's apparently not as easy as you'd think. Um, <laughs> so you were Columbia? Yes, I was Columbia. And yes, the audience participation, all that, it's just such a great community. Mm. And you finally get to be around people who are okay with being weird and dressing up silly for no reason at all, which is pretty much in my wheelhouse. So I was going to go see it actually last night because here it's shown the first, third, and fifth Friday nights of the month. And last night was... Uh, the first Friday of June, and so I was going to go, but then I got scared and decided not to. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm still, I guess, a little bit sheltered and shy and introverted so much. It is good fun and very welcoming. doesn't even matter if you don't dress up. If you do go and you don't dress up, they will probably be able to identify you as what they would call a virgin at most. Mm. I don't know if they do this in the UK, but if you've never been to a, a Rocky Horror Midnight show... They will actually make you go on stage with all the other people who haven't and do something. Right. See, I've heard these stories and that terrifies me. And so I don't want to do that. (laughs) Or just dress up. Pretend you've been there millions of times. Just play it cool. (laughs) Have you met me? I don't really play it cool very well. (laughs) But if you don't want to dress up in, you know, full lingerie or or maid outfit or anything like that, go as American Gothic. Go as the vicar. Oh. There are so many options to this. It's terrific. If I decide to be brave enough to go, I I might have you guys like coach me through it first. (laughs) The community around it, the shadow casts, the, the singing along, the giving lines back to the film and, and the cast as it happens, that's so much part of the conversation of this. Almost every time we reached out saying this is what we were going to do, everyone came back with the thing of, oh, I went to this and I loved it, or it's worth going and seeing live. It's really interesting that that's a lot of the conversation about it. Not the film itself, but the community and the experience of watching it. The last time I went to see it, it was an evening just after work, so I didn't have a chance to actually go dressed up, which was fine. It was about a third of the people hadn't dressed up. A couple next to me were Brad and Janet, but just in their underthings before they give it. I think they had the lab coats, but then they took them off. So I had to sort of stop looking around at one point. I'm like, basically look like I'm leching here. This is really bad. (laughs) You, You... 
it's part of the experience to be ledged at, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very British, though. So, But that was, I, I'm going to talk a little bit more about these shows in a bit, but that was in 2015 when they did a full tour. And it was on in, in London's West End for a couple of weeks, and it had Richard O'Brien as the narrator. Oh, cool. Damn. So he's still involved. Yeah. Oh, very, very much so. And, and he just played it perfectly. And he got lots of standing ovations and everyone really loved it. He came on and, and got this huge ovation. He said, there are two things I don't do. I don't respond to people shouting from the audience, <laughs> just trying to wind everyone up. And then he said, and I don't describe my genitalia. Because then a bit later, he goes into the narrator bit and he says, it's true, there were clouds that evening. And the normal line at that point is, describe your balls heavy, black, and pendulous. <laughs> and everyone sort of sat there going, are we allowed to shout this here? He's told us not to, but we're not sure. <laughs> Everyone's following rules a bit too hard. <laughs> it's no fun if if everyone, if the person in charge wants you to do something. Mm. You have to be fighting against them. <laughs> it's it's counterculture. Yes. Right. I'm going to give us a bit of history and production info before we get into our, our discussion of Mandy's experience. The Rocky Horror Picture Show, or Rocky Horror, as we'll call it from here on out, is a 1975 musical based on the stage musical created by Richard O'Brien. It is a comedy horror that was incredibly successful on stage, but the transfer to movie was poorly received, both commercially and critically. There was a limited release in 1975, but even some of those screenings ended up cancelled due to low numbers. The executives at Fox were able to get midnight screenings for the film the following year, as other musicals were finding a place with that audience and, and being released in that way. Over time, a major cult following grew around the film. Unlike other films with such a following, though, Rocky Horror fans are directly involved in the screenings. Fans dress up either as characters or in appropriate attire. There's a script of audience participation that's grown over the years, featuring abuse of the characters, reciting lines, responding to moments that happen, and generally dancing along. Very often, there's also a shadow cast acting some or all of the scenes in front of the movie, and there's toilet roll, toast, water, and other objects thrown at them as the movie goes on. Rocky Horror is considered to be one of the longest-running film releases in history. Fox have never formally removed it from circulation, and it continues to play weekly around the world. The stage show has been revived many times over the years. As I just said, there was a, a 2015 stage show, and one night they did what was called a, a simulcast. It was actually broadcast to cinemas around the country. People could go and watch it, and, and there were huge dress-up parties. And they did it as a big charity fundraising event as well. They had lots of different narrators. They had Richard O'Brien because he was part of the cast at that point, and, and again, everyone was uh, delighted when he came on. But they also had Stephen Fry, Adrian Edmondson, who's a, a classic comic over here, Emma Bunton from the Spice Girls, Mel Giedroyk, uh, who you will know as Mel and Sue from the British Bake Off, and Anthony Stewart Head. Nice. Came on as the final narrator, full tuxedo and bow tie. They'd all done something slightly different. Adrian Edmonton was uh, in stockings. Mel came on with lots of jokes about cakes, soggy bottoms and baps. <laughs> but then Auntie Stuart Head comes on. He's got this glorious tuxedo and he's just smooth and suave as he comes on. The movie was selected for preservation by the Library of Congress in 2005, uh, joining other films we've seen like Ferris Bueller. One interesting thing that I found kind of about production is that even though this movie came out in 1975, the VHS did not come out in the United States until 1990, and it retailed for $89.95, which is the same as $160 now, and that just completely blows my mind. Worth it. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> Pretty sure I would never go to the store and buy a DVD for $160. Do you think that was because it hadn't been available for so long? I have no idea. I mean, I guess by 1990, it did have the, that cult status was already mm. firmly in place, right? Were they doing it so that people wouldn't buy it and would continue going to shows? Keep the, the sort of fandom alive? Oh, that's Maybe. that's a possibility. I don't know. I just know that little piece of trivia blew my mind. Good. <laughs> VHS for $90. <laughs> Mandy, do you want to give us a brief synopsis? Sure. I shamelessly stole this brief synopsis from IMDb because I could not figure out how I was going to narrow it down into a single sentence. And then I looked it up and they did such a great job. IMDb tells us that Rocky Horror is about a straight-laced square couple seeking shelter from a storm who find themselves in the castle of a transgender alien mad scientist intent on creating a buff bodybuilder. Did I mention there were aliens? We do like to tell everybody how we watch the film in case you haven't seen it, you want to rewatch it, and you want to know where it's available. I went just a little bit crazy. And watched more than one version of Rocky Horror. So the original 1975 version, I did rent on Amazon. I also went back and rewatched the Glee episode that they did about Rocky Horror. That's on Netflix. And let me just tell you, that episode made so much more sense. (laughs) (laughs) When I watched it years ago when it first came out, I had no idea what they were talking about. And I didn't care. But it was great. And I also... Going against the wishes of nearly everybody who interacted with me on Twitter about this, I went and watched the Fox adaptation with Laverne Cox that came out last year. I did find it online and and watched it for free. And then I watched, oh my gosh, so many clips on YouTube of Tim Curry singing Sweet Transvestite. Mm -hmm. I watched it over and over and over again. And then Anthony Stewart Head is not quite as good as Tim Curry at playing Frankenfurter, but oh my gosh, you guys, if you haven't seen Tony Head doing Frankenfurter and Sweet Transvestite, you need to. And we will post some links to to him performing it. I found two versions. Nope, actually, I found three different versions. One is a 1990 VHS recording that has been uploaded to YouTube, so the quality is terrible, but you actually get to see him performing the part because it's the the full production. And so you can't really see his face. It's really grainy, and, and so it's not that great. You just get to listen to it. But then there are a couple tribute concerts that were going on where where Tony had performed as Frankenfurter and so those were more high def and so you can actually see his facial expressions and his amazing legs and those high heels and and so we'll link to those too because they're awesome his legs are quite good <laughs> yeah and and he can strut in them while singing uh, I can't even walk in heels like he's far surpassing me in femininity every time <laughs> I'm I'm gonna amaze everyone I don't own this what that surprises me, <laughs> the way that you talked about this. <laughs> I got it on DVD years ago, but the the audio leveling is terrible. The music is much louder than the lyric, which really didn't appeal to me. It actually made watching it difficult. And some of my favorite moments don't land because they're supposed to be these shocking outcomes of suddenly he's a transvestite or suddenly something's changed. And they just don't land as well, so I don't own it anymore. It's on Sky Movies. It's been on with the, the new remake version as well for quite a while now, so I watched it again on Sky. I have the DVDs, like a normal person. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, so I watched it on DVD. I actually, I watched it twice because I'd never actually watched the UK version. The There's only one difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, the superhero song, it gave a, a different kind of closure that mm. I think was kind of missing from the US version. 
But it's interesting to see the the, the uh, music from the superhero song actually plays over the final scene. Mm. So interesting experience. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a song in the UK version. After the castle is blasted off, you see Brad and Janet crawling around on the ground singing this song, which is fairly somber and quite bleak, but it does give better sense of closure to the whole thing. They did that song at the end of the new one, right? I think they probably did, yes. Okay, because I remember when I was watching the end of it, and they were crawling around outside, and I was like, they didn't do that in the movie that I just saw, and so I was confused. Good on you for watching that. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't awful. It wasn't awful. We can talk about that in a little bit. (laughs) I I do have the 4CD version that has the soundtrack of this, the soundtrack from the stage has international versions and all this. So, you know, give me some cred. <laughs> Mandy, going into this, what were your expectations? I tried to have as few expectations as possible, given mm. my experience of being scared of this movie for most of my <laughs> life. Um, so really, I went into it just hoping that I would like it and hoping I would like the music, because I legitimately never heard any of the songs from this show. Right. Which I don't really quite understand how I made it to 34 and had never heard any of them. But somehow, magically, I managed to do that. So yeah, I I just went into it hoping for the best. Okay. What were your experiences before watching of Richard O'Brien and Tim Curry? I had no idea who Richard O'Brien was. Okay. So I looked him up, (laughs) and it turns out he played the villain in Ever After. And so I do know him from that, apparently. He had a great mustache in Ever After. He is a big personality in the UK. Uh, Particularly in the 90s, there was a, a TV game show called The Crystal Maze, where a team of five people, I think, um, go around this whole complex. And it's effectively lots of small escape rooms. You get locked in a room, one person on their own, they have to do a puzzle. And if they complete the puzzle, they get a crystal. All the crystals you collect convert to five seconds in the crystal dome. And you go in this little dome thing that, that looks like a crystal. And all these paper tickets are flown up in the air and you have to grab as many gold ones as you can and put them in a post box. And if you get enough gold tickets, you win prizes. It's utterly abstract. Okay. <laughs> but he did that for many, many years. And so he, he's become quite a personality since doing that as well. And also his, his views on sort of sexual equality and so on. Okay. Do I mean sexual equality? E- equality for the LGBTQS plus scene. Yeah, I, well, I knew what you meant. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Had you heard of Tim Curry? Had I heard of Tim Curry? Of course I'd heard of Tim Curry. We've all seen Home Alone 2, right? Yes, but I didn't remember that he was in it, so... My transportation here? Out in front, sir. A limousine and a pizza. My experience with Tim Curry is very much on par with my experience with Bill Murray. Apparently, Mm. I just know who he is. I always knew that he was in Rocky Horror, and I always knew that he was in Clue, but I can't actually recall watching him as I was growing up. But according to his filmography, I have seen a few things that he was in, like Adam's Family Reunion, Charlie's Angels, Scary Movie 2, like you said, Home Alone 2. And it looks like he did a lot of voice work on TV that I have seen, but I had no idea that it was him. (laughs) Yeah, he tends to do um, very little roles in a lot of different things. I've rarely seen him be as big of a part of something as as he was in Rocky Horror, where he's obviously the reason to watch. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's not a leading man, is he? No. 
But he should be. I just love to look at it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he's so charismatic. His presence in this, when he was on the screen, you weren't watching anybody else. And so I don't really know why he didn't go on to do more stuff other than, I guess, maybe just because this wasn't initially popular. I don't know. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. Again, yeah. over here, he was in a lot of stuff, a lot of TV films and TV dramas. Yeah. So maybe that's it looks like he did a lot of stuff on stage, too. Mm. Yes. He, he was. Uh, he started the role of King Arthur in Spamalot. <laughs> you haven't mentioned It. Have you ever seen the original It? No, and okay. I missed it in the filmography list, but mm. no, I haven't seen it. Okay. I kind of want to, though, since there's a new one coming out. Yeah. And because I'm pretty sure Seth Green was in the original, right? So I need to see that. Let's see. Uh, fact check. Let's see. <laughs> Is this fake news? Um, <laughs> yes, he was young Richie Tozer. Five points to Mandy. <laughs> oh, good. Seth Green has been in everything. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, come on, don't question me when I'm telling you that a Buffy actor has been in something, because I'm going to know. <laughs> Just saying. But yeah, also, as you say, he does a lot of voice work. So we haven't seen him live doing things, but he was in Batman animated series and dinosaurs and so on and so forth. Yeah, I, when I was looking through the TV list, I was surprised at how many things I'm familiar with that he's been in. But he was always in just a few episodes. He was never like a series regular. And so they weren't things that I could point to and say, oh, yeah, I totally hear his voice as that character because they were characters that were only there for one or two episodes. And so I wouldn't have a memory of it. Hmm. Perhaps he's uh, a nomadic performer. He he doesn't want to stay anywhere very long. That's really what it feels like, honestly. <laughs> he's also in a 1991 film called Oscar with Sylvester Stallone. I, I kind of think I want to put this out to all our listeners to say, has anyone else seen this film? Should we recommend it to Mandy? It's really funny. It's not what I think I can say. It's a pop culture classic. You should watch it because no one else has ever heard of it. Yeah, I've definitely never heard of it. But it's really funny. It's actually one I had to buy when I was in the States one time because you couldn't buy it over here. That's Black popular. market movies, all right. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you, you mentioned having seen Glee and having heard a bit about the film, Mandy. Do you have any more experience of it in pop culture? No, honestly. Okay. All, it's just a general awareness and, okay. and knowing that it has a cult following. I mean, like I said, I'd never even heard the music, so I, I knew nothing. I didn't know what it was about. I had no idea they were aliens. No idea. It freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm almost jealous of you for getting to hear these for the first time so recently. <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> so having seen it now, did you enjoy it? I'm pretty sure this comes as no surprise, especially if you follow me on Twitter. But yes, I did enjoy it. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have been listening to Sweet Transvestite over and over again and finding <laughs> other versions and, and everything else. And we get an addition to my list of really terrible human beings that I like. Because Frank and Frederick totally gets to be on this list. But he is not a human being. <laughs> right. But that's why there's an asterisk in the title. I saw that. It says <laughs> may not actually be a human being. That's why, I mean, Rigel's on the list from Farscape and definitely not human. So that's just, yeah. For, I love Frank and Frederick. He's amazing. Mm. I don't even care that he's rapey and murdery. And I, you know what? Good for him. <laughs> He's an antagonist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, liked it a lot. Terrific. I'm really pleased. I was uh, a little bit worried that there might be something of coming to it quite late in life. Um, and not, No, late in life is wrong. Coming to it later than most. <laughs> coming to it just late in life. How old am I, Matthew? <laughs> no, but coming to it much later than most people normally would have. I wonder if, if there is something about it 
coming across really well when you see it as a younger person. But no, I'm really pleased you got to see it and you enjoyed it. I think probably coming to it as a younger person, it's more exciting and more thrilling because of all of the boundary pushing. Mm. And honestly, so th- this is going to sound weird. If I had just stumbled across it on my own one day, I don't know that I would have watched it. I probably would have started it and just been like, this is really fucking weird and I don't <laughs> know what's happening and probably wouldn't have watched it. But because I had to watch it and I'm aware of the love and the fandom that exists, particularly among the people who I consider to be my tribe, then of course I watched the whole thing and it grew on me as I was watching it. And then, you know, I started watching other versions and finding like, you know, the videos of Anthony Stewart head singing or Amber Benson singing and just, I found myself immersed and captivated. And I, I, I don't know that had I experienced it in a different manner, that that would have been true. Obviously, Kate and I spoke a little bit about some of the stuff it meant to us on White Grabbed Us. When you say captivated by it, what was it that captivated you? Honestly, Tim Curry. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, Tim Curry is beautiful. And I know that's a weird thing to say because, like Kate has already said, he, he does kind of have a weird-looking face. <laughs> <laughs> but he just has this presence that dominates and mm. I picked up on it the first my first watch through and, and I was breaking my live tweeting rule because I was just so excited to be watching something that everybody was so excited that I was watching. And and so I was talking a little bit about how when he's on screen, he's the only thing that you pay attention to. You can't not look at him. Mm. And then when I was done and I started watching other versions or other adaptations, just other people trying to do the same thing. It just became so much more apparent that nobody but Tim Curry can do that role. I mean, Laverne Cox is a wonderful actress, awesome person, beautiful, even acted the part of Frankenfurter pretty well in that adaptation in some places, but performing, there's no comparison. Like, it's kind of boring. Even Anthony Stewart had, if I weren't so in love with him because he's Giles... I probably would have thought his performance was a little bit boring too, but there's a novelty in seeing Giles <laughs> sing Sweet Dreams Last Night. And, and so just nothing compares to Tim Curry. And, and so when you're watching him, even watching him like murder Eddie, you know, it's just <laughs> like, oh my God, what is he doing? Why is he doing that? But he's doing it so graceful and with so much purpose and with no remorse and just, it was a mercy killing. You know, it, <laughs> One from there's the vault. no way not to be captivated by him. Mm. And he, he dominates the role itself. Uh, Anthony Stewart Head's performance is very much channeling Tim Curry, not ne- not particularly yes. doing anything too different for it. When I saw it live, and it was, again, very, very similar, even stylistically, and the way he looked. A little bit different because he's a bit of a bigger guy, so he did play it a little bit more butch. If that's I'm not sure that's the right word, but more masculine, where Tim Curry very much tried to do it as as wanting to be more feminine, and even Laverne Cox played it. She even did the accent the same. There's, there's and that's one of my issues with that. There's yeah. no differences there where she could have done something completely unique. And the fact I'm saying she could have done something completely unique, it would have been a very different take. But right. uh, she she just does the same thing as he did. Yeah, I think that that movie would have been more successful if they had tried to make it their own instead of 
mm. trying to uh, make it again. Uh, they, I know they were paying homage in some ways, but when something that popular and cult specific like that, like you're not, are you trying to pander to the people who have loved it forever? Because they're not going to no matter what. You should be trying to reach mm. out to a new audience. Yeah, no, they did not reach out to a new audience. <laughs> that. Even, even me coming to it, you know, I watched, I watched both of them this week, so I watched mm. them very close together. The reason that the new adaptation just fell so flat for me, one was because, like you're saying, they made no differences. I mean, the the speaking inflections, the words, the hand movements, I mean, everything, they tried to do it exactly the same mm. with the limitations they had of doing it live. But then they also did try to throw in the shadow cast stuff. Mm-hmm. Which only makes sense to people who have gone and participated. Otherwise, it just felt really weird. Yeah, I could see that. And also, the guy who plays Brad is muscular, and I just found that annoying in different ways. (laughs) Because Janet doesn't like guys with lots of muscles. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's the only thing that I like about the remake, is when she sings her line of, I'm a muscle fan. It's done completely differently. Janet, in, in the original version, is kind of shocked she's done it. She goes, oh, God, you know, I didn't mean for that to come out. In the remake, she sings it, and Frank gives her a look of, get it, girl? Yeah, own that thing. <laughs> and it's, it's better because it is, it's beginning to build into her sort of sexual awakening and understanding of what she wants. She's not in Brad's shadow. I really like the way that comes across at that, that point. But that one moment does not make it a good film. <laughs> okay, I... Can we talk about the new one for a few mm, minutes? Absolutely. Then? Because I actually liked it. Ooh. I wasn't. A... <laughs> I know. I know. Apparently that's sacrilegious. <laughs> I didn't like Laverne Cox as, as Frankenfurter because she didn't do anything new hmm. with it. And, and I think that was a, a failure on her part. But I, I loved Riff Raff in the new version. I loved Eddie in the new version. I actually really like Janet in the new version, too. She Susan Sarandon just does not have a strong singing voice. And so it was really nice to see somebody who has a great singing voice doing Touch Me, I Want to Feel Dirty. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciated that. And basically, I liked everybody except for Frankenfurter. Okay. Because uh, Christiana Milan as Genta was great. Is it a- Ashley Ashford who played Columbia in the new one, I think? Something like that. I, I can't remember. I, her name I don't know her name, but Columbia is excellent in that new one. She might be um, the best thing in it. Caleb on Twitter, Dibs on the Gibbs, said the same thing that Columbia was the, the hands down best thing, and I, I think she was great. But I just I really loved Riff Raff in the new one. I was not a fan of Riff Raff in the, the original. Like he was creepy uh, and weird. That's my favorite part about him. I just, but I didn't really get him. And so in the new version, like he just, he made more sense to me and I don't know why. Like, I mean, cause he was still creepy and weird. He just was better I, somehow. I think it maybe it was the lack of the hunchback. The hunchback bothered me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm weird. I get that I'm weird, but I did not hate the new one as much as everybody else did. It, I didn't love it and it wasn't captivating, but it wasn't terrible either. We'll have to agree to disagree on that. <laughs> um, I, I thought Riff Raff in the new one was, was a bit too pretty for me. I liked him being a, a hunchback Igor-type figure, but mm. it depends on what you're coming for. And at least people like the new one. <laughs> yeah, I, I like how sinister he is in the original. 
that you know there's something weird going on with him all the way through and and he has this sort of smug grin most of it even when uh, he's being beaten or magenta's getting told <laughs> off or something but i i think mandy you mentioned that eddie coming in um and eddie's entrance is i think the other good thing that i like about it that it, it sort of fits the narrative better this thing that he's left a message saying And then he comes to the castle and tries to stop them. I, I always think the coming out of the fridge is a bit strange because it's like he's been there, he's been trapped, maybe body parts have been used to make Rocky, and suddenly Dr. Scott is turning up now. I believe half his brain was used to, yeah. uh, in Rocky. Okay. That's why he had the uh, big scar across his forehead when ah. he was coming out. Yeah, well, let me just tell you, it took me a while to actually understand what was happening in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused. Yeah. And I did not know. So, like, at the end, when, when Dr. Scott comes looking for Eddie, I had no idea who Eddie was. Like, <laughs> that went over my head. I was like, who the fuck is Eddie? Like, what are you talking about? And then I was like, oh, they're talking about meatloaf. <laughs> and then yeah. I figured it out. I was so, like, the plot of this thing is so preposterous and ridiculous. And, like, it doesn't make any sense. But that's okay. It's totally fine. But I, I honestly, it took me watching all of the different versions and also like watching some of the tribute shows where they give you some of the commentary and kind of tell you what's happening Mm. for me to actually piece together the story of why they're doing what they're doing. Like I did not pick up on the fact that Frank had used half of Eddie's brain to build Rocky. Like, and so I couldn't really figure out what was happening there. It was just weird. Like I didn't understand why he killed Eddie in the first place and it, it was just all really weird. Yeah, I, I think the reason why I have a good grip on it is just that I've watched it a million times. I, the only reason I can say why he killed Eddie because he was jealous that Rocky was dancing to Eddie's song. <laughs> He's a, okay. a very jealous and specific man, and I laugh every single time he kills Eddie. <laughs> like, my roommate walked in and I'm just dying laughing at this silly scene. And she's like, how many times have you watched this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Oh, well, you know what? That's a question that we should have asked you. How many times did you watch this movie in preparation for this podcast? Actually, in preparation, I watched it twice and was mocked by everyone because I, I just have watched this so many times. It probably wasn't necessary. <laughs> but, you know, you watch it one time and it's like, oh, I could do that again. <laughs> well, yeah, th- I mean, that's why I've been watching YouTube clips on repeat for like hours and hours because I... I get it. I'm like, happy. I'm such a baby it. fan. I know. I, like, I know you guys are all laughing at me and going, "Oh, she finally figured it out." You know? <laughs> like, I understand, but it's new and exciting to me. So more more me people gosh. liking the thing we like is a good thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Um, you mentioned Susan Sarandon not as a, a strong singer, which mm-hmm. kind of surprises me. Kind of, kind of doesn't. She's an actress before she's a singer, a bit like Laverne Cox. In fact, she's not a you know MC front of stage type person is why it comes across a bit stilted there. Susan Sarandon's the only person to get more than one song, of course, which is why there's a lot of this that it's actually about Janet's Awakening as much as it is anything else. I think Janet's Awakening is one of the more interesting plot lines throughout this. Rocky himself kind of bores me most of the time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because you don't like men with too many muscles. (laughs) Janet's character annoyed me. Hmm. Mostly because when Frank, dis, you know, disguised himself as Brad and, and came in with Janet and started her whole sexual awakening thing and, and 
you know, she sleeps with him. He's like, oh, don't tell Brad, you know, and she's totally fine with it. And then he goes and does the same thing to Brad and Janet sees it and she gets upset with Brad. And I'm like, you do not have a right to be upset with him for doing the exact same thing you just did. Yes, and I really, agree. And then she runs off because she's mad. She runs off and she does it again with Rocky. And so it just, I don't like her because she's a hypocrite and it made me mad. <laughs> I like it well enough, but I don't mind if people who I don't actually know are hypocrites. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. I mean, I, I really did like her song. Because it's fun and it's catchy. And, you know, it is nice to see her moving from this space of mm. innocent naivete to sexual awakening. You know, that that's a good thing, especially, you know, for a movie that I was so scared of for so long because of the sexuality in it. That's really interesting to me. But overall, the character of Janet just was not my favorite. That That's actually Susan Sarandon's line in Zoolander 2 when she's coming on to, I think, Owen Wilson. She goes, ah, touch it, touch it, touch me. I want to be dirty. <laughs> I haven't seen Zoolander or Zoolander 2. Okay, we might add Zoolander to the list. We're not adding Zoolander 2. <laughs> Bloody awful. Okay. I, I will admit to having a massive soft spot for her. We, we, I mentioned in Ghostbusters, there's sort of three women from movies I watched when I was younger that I will admit to having a massive crush on, even though they're a number of years older than me. And Susan Sarandon in this is easily number two. I think she's stunning. Um, and she has this perfect look of a Charlie's Angels type with the curly hair. And the... I, I don't disagree with you on that. I think as an actress, Susan Sarandon is amazing. Although it's weird because in this era, like in the 70s and 80s, Susan Sarandon and Sigourney Weaver were both doing a lot of stuff. And I always get them confused. <laughs> <laughs> I've always gotten them mixed up in my head. Um, I don't now, like in current stuff, but even looking back at the stuff, when I started noticing who was in this movie, like those two names kept coming up in my head and I kept getting mixed up which one was actually in this movie. Because I'm apparently a crazy person. Actually, I've had that same issue. I know one of those women is in that Avatar p- movie. I couldn't tell you which one, though. That one is Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but, but yeah, in the in the 80s and 90s, I used to get these two so mixed up. And and they're they're both fantastic. So, you know, it's fine. I'm sure they're okay with that. It's just these awesome S names. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, many many uh, celebrities have kind of other celebrity doppelgangers, like uh, Kira Knightley and Natalie Portman. People get them mm. confused all the time yeah. for many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing of her being shocked at seeing Brad and, and Frank together. I think there's something that we actually won't see in it now because this was made in the 70s where it wasn't something that was depicted on television. It wasn't something that was talked about. So it's completely different for her to have seen him sleep with another man. Um, so I think there's probably more shock in that than we would take watching it now. <sighs> yeah, puritanical views were a bit uh, a bit stronger back then. So mm, Exactly. People probably thought it was excusable that she was a bit more upset as a result. Mm, or at least expected. And, and that's part of what this film is, I, I think, trying to do is make it more. It is a celebration. It's showing these things, but also trying to address them some way through aliens and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Always aliens, man. I have a question. Oof, go ahead. What is the deal with American Gothic in this movie? Like, why is that a thing? I didn't get it. Like, I picked up on it. I, I saw the two in the beginning at the church, and I was like, oh, hey, it's, you know, Tim Curry's the priest, and oh, those two are, you know, doing the thing from that painting. Mm. And then in the castle, the, the painting was there. Mm-hmm. 
but it was it was just there in the background. It was never referenced. It was never mentioned. But it was obviously very intentional, and and I didn't look up to see why that might be. And I'm just curious. I I think it probably has to do, and exactly as Kate just said about the the puritanical views. American Gothic as a thing of very traditional stylings and thinking, and it's putting us in mind of that. This is such a contrast of. And I also think they they kind of thought they were being clever by having the actors from Riff Raff and Magenta doing that and then having it be in the castle and perhaps you know making it straight etc a little a little bit of hand wavy winking stuff perhaps but i agree that the puritanical stuff is probably the justification for it and, and the castle also has the mona lisa it has classic greek statues in it i think they stole them yeah <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> <laughs> can i tell you guys completely different topic now something that mm-hmm. i think is slightly embarrassing okay always <laughs> There's this whole thing on the internet about misheard song lyrics, right? Right. That's not what the words so, are. <laughs> Usually, though, when people mishear lyrics, the lyrics themselves are like perfectly normal, and the misheard lyrics are something completely random. And in this case, I misheard some song lyrics. I heard them as completely normal words, and it turns out they're not. So Eddie's big song, I thought he was singing Opportunity Bless My Soul. <laughs> no, he sang Hot Patootie, and it took me, like, it was... Okay, so I watched the original, and I still thought it was Opportunity Bless My Soul. I watched the Glee episode. I still thought it was Opportunity Bless My Soul. And then I was like, what is this song actually about? And so then I Googled it to look up the rest of the lyrics. And I actually Googled Opportunity Bless My Soul. <laughs> and then it brought up... <laughs> and then I read the lyrics and I still have no idea what it was about. But yeah, I misheard those. Hot Patootie, I don't want none of your cold patootie. Because no one likes sure. cold patootie. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So there you go. My little failure of the day. I would like to wonder just real quick about the use of all of the people from the castle in the first scene. You can also see Columbia in the church. Is it all winky for fun stuff or were they trying to save money is my first question. (laughs) There's just so many. I I love this movie a lot, as you probably have ascertained. And I just I feel like every second there's something new to notice. They don't waste any moment throughout with filler. And every, even every movement, I would say, is done specifically for a movie that I know was kind of thrown together in a last minute way. It's very yeah. impressive. Yeah, it was, it was filmed in a couple of different locations, but at a place that's now just up the road from where I moved to over the course of about six weeks. So it was a very quick production, but you're absolutely right. The film, every single shot is trying to give you something, whether it's a joke, whether it's a character moment. It's something about the whole production. They, they get out of the car and they, they've listened to Nixon's resignation speech and they walk to the castle, which I think he said was a few miles up the road. And even that becomes a song. It's not just suddenly we cut to them at the castle. It has to be the song that really means nothing. It's, I, I would suspect, uh, the stage show trying to do a transition. Quick, get the next set on whilst they walk down singing this song. But it, it really adds to the sort of the feeling of hope. Oh, it's going to be great. They found a light. It's really good. But it's all quite sinister as well. And you can tell the second that Riff Raff starts with his falsetto up in that tower. Mm-hmm. That's nice and ominous. And I, I love that how he can do that falsetto so well. And also the kind of rock singing that we get from the beginning of Time Warp. Quite a range yeah. on O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, that threw, actually threw me off a little bit because when he was doing the falsetto, that's the first glimpse we get of Riff Raff. Mm. And so I was thinking, oh, he's not really sinister. You know, maybe maybe he's like 
longing for something, and he's really nice, even though he looks creepy. And then we actually meet him. <laughs> no, no, he's hella creepy. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He goes to the to the well a lot for that the sort of shock line. So singing at a normal pitch and then suddenly shrieking something at you. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly in Time Warp, he does it a couple of times. And the show in general does it. But he seems to particularly like that. <laughs> and now he wrote the entirety of this. Mm. Um, yeah, so Brian concept to completion, it was all him. And he sings the, the song in the beginning with Magenta's lips, uh, Patricia Quinn. So mm. it's hard to not appreciate the crap out of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We did have uh, some questions from a few listeners who wanted to make sure that, that we talked about some of the things that are important to them. So on Twitter, at Joss Ruckus asked us to talk about Rocky as art, it doing its crucial job of opening minds and pushing boundaries. I think that's a really interesting way to look at Rocky because, I mean, Rocky virtually has no lines no songs he's just running around in, in tight gold underwear and and so <laughs> him being art and a creation i think is definitely an interesting way to look at him what do you guys think frankenfurter's monster as he is um <laughs> i as i said earlier i i mostly find him boring but perhaps part of that is because he doesn't have much to say but he certainly is a very uh, he he's a specimen of man that gods would be drawn as so i can definitely see him as art he's got one of the best lines in the final song as well so they they're paying homage to him in some ways gone which is his line i am just 7 hours old truly beautiful to behold and i mean i love how <laughs> and when they uh, freeze him with the medusa he's just standing there in a classic greek <laughs> fashion yes. like yeah. why were you just standing there like that he <laughs> it's like he's aware of the fact that he is only here to be a beautiful person mm. and maybe that's why he doesn't care for frankenfurter that much i found it a little strange that he didn't care for frankenfurter honestly that he was scared of him from the beginning because i mean frankenfurter created him and so he was created to belong to frankenfurter and so you would expect him to not immediately have those pesky human emotions to get in the way and so i was a little surprised at that yeah he's basically a baby the whole situation's a little messed up i suppose <laughs> well it was his birthday <laughs> when i first saw the question i actually thought she uh, was referring to rocky as rocky horror the whole show opening minds and pushing okay around. well i i quite like that the idea of because you're right he is absolutely created as basically a living version of the statues that Frank has around the place. And it is just absolutely using him and, and not thinking about what does Rocky now want? What is his... I've created him, but what are his hopes and dreams? He's not a child, an offspring. He is just something to be used and thrown away. Rocky Horror, the show, very much, yes, it, it is about questioning and, and pushing the uh, the liberal agenda. <gasps> Shock horror. <laughs> Um, but this is this is not many years after uh, homosexuality had been decriminalised in the UK. So I suspect it's one of the first big times this sort of production was done, this sort of story was done. It, it, it is really important to show these sorts of things, to normalise them, and, and talk about it in a positive way, that your, your sexual nature can be a spectrum. It's not the choice you make once, and that's what you're stuck to forever, and that you can actually enjoy and, and relish sex, which was definitely not something certainly shown in, in the BBC for a very in British TV for a very long time. It was all very stiff upper lip and something to be embarrassed about. At the same time, though... <laughs> Unless... <laughs> no, well... Uh, 
Okay, the man who is the person, well, the alien, I guess, who is responsible for all of this boundary pushing and sexual awakening and providing this information that sex is pleasure to both Brad and Janet, and even to Rocky to some extent, is killed in the end. You know, so could you also look at it as a perspective of, well, he did bad things, so he dies? I mean, I know that's really not what it is, or at least that's not how the world has interpreted it. Is is there anything to that? I, I actually think it's a white man shooting him, because damn the patriarchy. I'm saying that in a comic way, but it's absolutely that point. It's your lifestyle's too extreme, we've now got to take you away. And that's the point at which his gay lover creation child thing decides he loves him and does want to die with him. And they do that King Kong thing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the very okay. least, um, I, just to, to piggyback onto that, at least Janet and Brad come out relatively unscathed in terms of showing that you can let loose in that way and feel comfortable in your sexuality and not die. I mean, Frankenfurter had many other sins beyond his sexuality. He was murdering people. He was controlling people. He was freezing them and dressing them up and forcing them to do as he wanted. And, you know, when people wouldn't do it, he turns and goes, It's not easy having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> And even smiling hurts his face. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say, I did I did find, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but Richard O'Brien actually wrote a sequel to this. What? Uh, apparently, <laughs> he's been involved in a couple of them that are doesn't look like are ever going to see the light of day. Mm. But I found online a link to a fully completed written draft of a sequel to this that actually takes place on Transylvania. Or transsexual, whichever one is the planet that's transsexual, right? But Janet is in it, and it takes place, you know, several years later. She's now 35. She is a hooker. Her life has fallen to pieces <laughs> as a result. <laughs> and and I didn't read the whole thing. I just kind of started it, and I was like, well, I guess technically this isn't canon because it didn't actually come into being, but Richard O'Brien did write it. Oh. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes if anybody's interested. So I'm, I'm not sure that we can actually say that Janet came out of it unscathed. Damn. But if it's not canon, I guess we can. You know, it's just, it's just something to think about. I'll consider it not canon. <laughs> well, I, you know, Dr. Scott probably lived happily ever after. <laughs> well, I hope we got to keep those legs at the very least. <laughs> right? <laughs> those are some great legs. <laughs> Uh, we had one more question from a listener at Chipper Allen or Alan Alstrom. He, of course, is bringing Buffy into it, which is something that we always like to do here on uh, Pop Culturally Deprived. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Buffy is basically a metaphor for high school as hell. He asks, what is the metaphor here? Why aliens? Why Frankenstein? And I have no answer. So I'm hoping that maybe one of you two have some insight as to what you think is... Is, is going on here. I'm not sure I can answer to the metaphor, but the aliens, I, I do believe to a point that that was a way to um, make it a bit more acceptable to society at that time. If these people with these outlandish ways of doing things are not human, then it might offend less people who would probably still be offended by the whole movie anyway. Could it be just as simple as Richard O'Brien really liked science fiction? 
It could be. <laughs> yeah, there is. There is uh, that's the big part of it. Is he is this is an homage to those fifties B movies that he clearly loves so much. I think there's also an aspect of it from the the writing perspective. If this is the metaphor, and it's hard because sometimes a cake is just a cake. It's not a metaphor. But absolutely, yes, there is a metaphor in here because otherwise, why aren't they just transvestites from Transylvania? Why does it have to be an uh, an alien spacecraft and so on? That's because it gives you an ending. it actually gives you a way of writing it and saying well this has all gone a bit weird why don't I just have the castle lift off and then the end of it done (laughs) (laughs) that part blew my mind I was like oh my god what is happening right now I don't understand (laughs) it looks like something from Monty Python it's fabulous (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) <laughs> Love it. No, but that's and we've talked a little bit about this now about using some of this to talk about sexual awakening to normalize your sex experiences and preferences, as well as the experience of your lifestyles too extreme. So we're going to kill you for it, and, and that's part of the whole metaphor that's playing in within this. They're actually aliens coming to do a thing on Earth that we don't know, coming to steal all the priceless artifacts from Earth. American Gothic. Yeah, because they Gone. did take them away in the castle, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose otherwise you'd have to believe they came here to sleep with Brad and Janet. In in Denton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a few more questions now that are popping up into my head. Do it. Kind of about logic. And that's probably not a good thing to use when we're talking about Rocky Horror, but, you know, it is what it is. First of all, were, was Columbia an alien, too? Or was she a human that Frank took in, like, Eddie and Brad and Janet. I believe that she was a human that he took in as a sexual consort. And that's where a lot of the jealousy was coming from because her and Ed- he brought Eddie in in a similar way. And then they started to be interested in one another. Obviously, you could tell Frank and Fritter has an obsession with being the center of attention. Right. He does a great job at it. That's At least that's how I interpreted it. I don't know if Matthew has any other thoughts. Yes. Yes. Yes, I don't think I'd ever applied any logic to it, I would admit. Um, <laughs> I like to understand things, I'm yeah, sorry. Let's go with that. Actually, can I ask a question then? This is this is my, my Rocky Horror question that um, I've discussed a number of times with different people. I don't think I've ever had an answer that I can totally buy into. Why does she fall over when she does her tap routine? I know why she falls over. I know she hits steps and falls over. Okay, I, I can understand the physics of it. But why... <laughs> In the production of it, did they do that? Why does it not just end up with her doing a nice jazz hands and then move on? Hmm. I would say that they're trying to show her imperfections. Okay. She's an excitable girl. You could, a woman, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Those and, woman you know. brains. <laughs> <laughs> her with her obnoxious high-pitched voice and all this. like She's just having a good time. Maybe she's not even the best tap dancer in the world. Um, and I don't know. Uh, a follow-up question. Do you think that all of those people in the room while she was dancing, are they all aliens or are they people who were just invited? That was going to be my next question. (laughs) I think they're all invited because one of them is a chap called Christopher Biggins, who is a British actor, personality type, quite camp, uh, came out as gay some years ago. And the way he behaves in this, he is basically Christopher Biggins. (laughs) So I'm choosing that he is actually inviting sort of famous people from the LGBTQ community. To go back to your question, Matthew, Mm. I'm going to try to add some, like, serious analysis to this Mm, movie. (laughs) I think 
what you know something that both of you guys have said and and specifically what Kate just said about Columbia about the showing her imperfections and then we had talked about a few minutes ago Frank getting super super jealous of Columbia and Eddie that's why he locked Eddie away and eventually killed him I think those are all things that drove him to create Rocky because he's looking to create somebody who will be perfect who he will be the absolute center of the world for and that's really what's driving his motivation. That's that's probably why they showed us Columbia's imperfections and her love for Eddie and and all of that stuff, which is what makes it even more devastating that Rocky reacts the way that he does. Yeah, okay, I can say that as well. Or am I trying to be too smart here? No, you're just the right no. amount of smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure there is an answer to it. It's just something that always... Because you expect in any of these productions for that to be a great tap sequence and then on with the rest of the show and she falls over. And, and this film does not do anything by accident. Exactly like Kate right. says, every shot is on purpose. Everything they're showing us, they're framing it for a reason. So I always wonder about that. Well, my last question before we move on to our favorite moments, you keep saying that uh, Riff Raff and Magenta kill Frank because of his extreme lifestyle. And I'm not entirely sure what that means. I don't really understand why they killed him. Did they kill him because they were jealous of him? Did they kill him to get justice because he was a rapey murderer? Because he treated them badly because they were his servants on Earth? I, I didn't really quite understand and couldn't unpack what was actually happening other than they wanted to go home and they didn't like him anymore. I thought uh, a bit of it was that Riff was... Je- I'm going to keep pulling jealousy out there, but he... he um he Not jealous, but uh, I keep going to the line, He never liked me! Mm. Which I could never duplicate, mm-hmm. but I, I think a lot of it was that Riff didn't feel appreciated and, you know, he was beating them and stuff and he saw an opportunity to pull out another three-pronged weapon and get it done with. Go back and just be like, oh, he died in a freak accident. Don't worry about it. To everyone else in Transylvania or tran- transsexual Transylvania. He, he was climbing a curtain and he slipped. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. He was never chosen. He is okay. Willow to Frank Zander. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah? Okay. Um, yeah. No, but... <laughs> yeah, he does not get attention. And a little bit from Magenta's line as well. I ask for nothing, master. She just wants to go home. She doesn't want to be having all this praise and affection and, and adoration put on her. She just kind of wants to go home. And she's not getting that. Okay. So they perform a coup. I can accept that. That's my take on it. Well, then why don't you tell us what your favorite moments are? And you can't cheat and say the whole thing. (laughs) Neither of you are allowed to do that. Just FYI. It's absolutely all the small things. Exactly as Kate says, there's no moment that goes past without something. And and part of that's in the rewatching. Even watching it now in preparation for this. I go, hey, look at Brad dancing in the background. That's really cute. And just something I've never noticed before. And, and you go through it and you've got, when Columbia starts singing, she does this hat twirl behind her. It's just, she's singing, she's doing the, the thing with the song at the same time. And she's doing this amazing hat twirl. And that that yeah. actually takes quite a lot of skill. Frank's eyebrow game through the entire thing is pretty fantastic. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, when he does the, the eyebrow lift during mm. Sweet Transvestite when he's saying, how about that? <laughs> well, you know, how there's about a that? gif of it and it's... <laughs> it's like I like kind of loop that over and over again, and I'm just watching it. I'm like, like he does this thing with his eyebrow and his like mouth and tongue at the same time, and mm. it's just amazing. And I'm like, my face doesn't move like that. <laughs> I don't get it, but it's awesome to watch. I think accentuated with makeup, you'd see it move. <laughs> I think that helps <laughs> a lot. But you mentioned all the paintings 
So there's all that sort of detail scattered through it. The shooting at the end when they when they're in the laboratory and they've got the statues around them and they shoot it so the statues in between some of the shots, like a third person in the action and so on. Bits of writing on the machinery wall, the what what the background dancers do during it. The narrator's face. The terrific moment when it cuts from Frank and and Brad in bed together and it cuts to the criminologist who would normally just start with his bit and he just has this look in his face of, oh, well, that's quite something. Anyway, (laughs) carrying on. (laughs) And it's so detailed and nuanced that you can just watch it over and over again and pick up something every time. Fantastic. I also love, we talked about Tim Curry's pronunciation, but the accent that he puts on this sort of, a little bit like the Queen, generally a sort of upper class, quite posh British woman. But some of his pronunciation every so often, uh, the bits where, where he talks about, if you want something visual, we can watch an old Steve Reeves movie. <laughs> <laughs> a weakling weighing 98 pounds. <laughs> it's just so... Oh, it's slightly off kilter with the rest of it. It's really nice. And of course, the the, the wonderful moment where you have them all looking at each other. Janet! Dr. Scott! Janet! Ah, Rooker! Janet! Dr. Scott! Janet! Ah, Rooker! <laughs> <laughs> And because he, he gets to do it every time. Rocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an interesting thing about uh, the accent that he uses is apparently initially he was going to do it with a German accent because of the whole, I don't know, Transylvania thing, I guess. But one day he was like on the bus or the subway or something and, and heard a woman with a very posh English accent speaking and thought to himself, oh, that needs to be how Frankenfurter speaks. And so mm. then he ended up modeling it after the queen and his mother. Mm. So I think I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it, it absolutely works for the part. And, and him being German would have been strange with the Dr. Strangelove-esque thing going on with Dr. Scott. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, we've talked about this being a, a great musical, wonderful songs, wonderful performances. It's really funny. And I say this about a lot of films, but it just every time I watch this bits, I have me in fits of stitches. <laughs> I've just had the bit with Janet, Brad, Janet, Dr. Scott, Rocker. <laughs> the, the bit where they break down in the car and she just says to Besides, darling, the owner of that phone might be a beautiful woman and you might never come back again. And I think the script just says something like Brad laughs a bit too hard. <laughs> and he absolutely does. It just, ha ah, and gets out of the car. <laughs> I could say a few of my favorites. Mm. So one one thing that I that's very little, like the, the hatch wheel that you mentioned, uh, during Sweet Transvestite, when Frank and Columbia are up next to each other bobbing, he turns mm-hmm. and looks at her and sticks his tongue out in the most playful way. And like it kind of... <laughs> It almost felt personal, like it was the actors just having fun with it over anything else. Mm. Obviously, I could just point out everything that Tim Curry does throughout this, uh, but I've been yeah. told I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> 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 touch a touch a touch me is probably my favorite number throughout it, and I think a lot of it does have to do with Magenta and Columbia watching with their mm. PJs and the the Mickey Mouse cap. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's just their dynamic in that is fabulous, and it was fun to see. And also, when they're in the room and Dr. Scott is going through on his wheelchair when it's on, like, whatever track it was on. (laughs) And they just, they both, like, look up for a second and, like, shrug and then go back to what they're doing as though this happens all the time. (laughs) 
Yeah. I saw something that the set designers had forgot to put the door in for him. That's why they have the crashing through the wall moment. I like it. <laughs> it's better it's, than a door. Yeah. <laughs> so much better with that. And the fact that they have the, I've said all the small things, but the moment where he goes, oh, he's in the Zen room and they cut to him in the Zen room and that's it. We've built this bit of a set for this two second sight gag. Worth <laughs> it. Yeah. So I'm going to cheat just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> all of it. <laughs> not not all of it, but... Oh, okay, so I know I keep talking about it, you guys. The Sweet Transvestite performance by Tim Curry is the most amazing thing <laughs> ever. Like, I could gush about that on and on and on. In fact, I have during the course of this podcast. Um, but if I have to go into the little moments, definitely the eyebrow and the tongue thing that, that you talked about, Matthew... You know, I'm going to jump on the Columbia bandwagon, too. There's a moment after Frank is sitting on his throne. And so, you know, Riff Raff is on one side, Magenta's behind him, Columbia's on the other side, and he's singing. There's this moment where the camera cuts to Columbia's face. And she's, like, being kind of lascivious over Giant Frank's leg. lascivious grin, yes. yeah. And, and she's <laughs> grinning, and her eyes cut to look at him. And she's looking at him like such a lech. And it's <clears> so <throat> wonderful. Like, I, like it's, it's just an amazing bit of, of face acting. And I love it. And I keep, you know, I, I keep rewatching Sweet Transvestite on loop because it's amazing. And I found it in HD on YouTube, and it's just awesome. And every time I get to that point, I'm just like, she is really awesome. Like, I didn't really get her character very much especially at the beginning but every time i i see something with her in it i like her more that that's what i'm gonna say is yeah. it's all of sweet transvestite but then also just like those little character moments are awesome yes and that actually was a, a that one you just spoke of was a triggering point for one of my favorite audience participation lines but it's very it has many expletives basically everyone screams fuck him with your eyes bitch <laughs> <laughs> Because much of the audience participation is very, it's full of curses. Um, oh, yeah. And really just being rude to everyone on the screen continuously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the lascivious grin informs you so much of the character and the relationship going on there. A little bit also when it cuts to Magento and she just does that eyebrow raise. Because she's saucy but has nothing to do with any of this. Feels though Magenta is the one person in there who knows exactly what's going on all the time. Mm. Um, and perhaps Riff as well, but she, because she doesn't have a lot of speaking parts, because she doesn't ever do anything really besides the yell about how they're all lucky, um, I feel like she's just watching and judging. With amazing hair. Amazing hair, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marina Sirtis quite famously played Magenta for a, a good long while, I think. You'll know her as Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. did not know that. I'm going to have to go see if I can find a clip. <laughs> yeah. On Sweet Transvestite, I once got to do the Brad part of it. We went to a burlesque show, and it was a, a male compare, and he came out for the second half done up like Frankenverter, did the whole piece, and then because I was in the front row with my other half, and we, we'd had a bit of back and forth in the first half, he then turned to me and got me to do the rest of it when it got to Brad's section. I'm glad we caught nice. you. Nice. Amazing. <laughs> now, is there video of this? No. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. But that's, you know, one of my life hacks. If you go to the burlesque, you sit in the front, and you give as much as you can, because you get as much back. <laughs> Okay. I yeah. will try to remember that if I ever go to a burlesque show. Yeah, lots of fun. It is. If you if you can go to one, I would I would definitely recommend it. <laughs> and it's a little less scary than the Rocky Horror just because no one's go no one will actually expect you to do anything. Although the mm. ones near me sometimes okay. 
sometimes the ones near me, they come out and they like go and sit on people. So there is that danger. But just try to not have your lap available and you'll be fine. <laughs> or do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everyone who does act at, at the shows, they all say it's really good when the audience is really clapping or singing along with you and giving you a lot. They It want, makes them want to perform better, harder, have more fun with it. Right. Yes. So, yeah. It's it's uh, the last one I went to. She said, all right, men, or all of you who always want a cat call but don't because you know it makes you a creep, this is your time. Cat call all you want. <laughs> nice. We we went to one where we had this uh, a group of lads behind us who were being a bit laddish to start with about who looked the best, what they'd like to do to them, this kind of thing, oh. which we were a bit like, oh, come on, guys. But by like three, four acts in, they were just clapping along and having the best time. It's like, okay, okay, I'll cut them some slack now. <laughs> Maybe they just didn't understand where they were going to. This is not a strip club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to the show. Did we have any other favorite things that we want to comment on? I loved Frankenfurter's leather jacket during the Brad Rocky, all of that scene. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> and uh, this is an obvious one, but Janet's face when she's trying to decide whether she wants to sleep with Rocky is uh, always hilarious. <laughs> Just looking back mm. and forth, and then that realization, she's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you have an actress do that bit. And that's that's one of the differences between musicals and, and musical films, is you can do that close-up face work. That wouldn't come off on stage. You'd have to do that as a big piece, some yeah. sort of uh, very obvious thing. But like we saw with the Les Mis movie, <laughs> you can do a lot of facial close-ups to people singing in a film. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Channeling my Neil Pat- Patrick Harris there. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Rocky Horror? I have a couple of other musicals that I wanted to recommend to you. Uh, to okay. This. We, we've mentioned the sequels. There's, there's also a technical sequel to this with Brad and Janet called Shock Treatment. I've not seen it. I'm not interested in seeing it. It's supposed to be terrible. I'm not even going to reference that. Okay. Except I just did. But fine. Fine. We've mentioned Cabaret in the past. It's not quite the same as this. It's a lot more serious in places, but it's I, I, I put them in a similar sort of genre, and that's one I would recommend as well. That's the one that has Joel Grey in it, right? Yes. I, I want to see it just for that. Mm. And Liza Minnelli and the beautiful Michael York. Seem to be referencing him a lot lately. Nice, well-spoken British chaps, that's what we like. There is a musical called You're in Town. Not very well known, but I went to see a production of this a couple of years ago, and it's it's the same sort of comedy horror thing. Genuinely hilarious. Terrible second half. No, not second half. Last quarter, probably. Like most musicals, and particularly like most comedies, once it has to start doing narrative plot stuff, it falls apart a little bit, and, and it isn't quite as good as when it's just doing pure comedy. But it does some really, really great stuff, so that's one I'd recommend as well. Based on the title, I kind of want to pass. <laughs> and that's exactly <laughs> what I thought as well. Just in case anyone thinks I'm saying, like, hey, you are in town. I'm not saying you are in town. I'm saying you're in town. Dystopian. town Yes, it's a dystopian future where people are not allowed to pee freely and they have to pay to go and do it. And so there is a giant corporation controlling the toilets. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to pass. <laughs> it's really good, though. As I say, surprisingly very good. But there is a musical called Repo, the Genetic Opera. Yes. <laughs> yep. It's, I'm sure Mandy's heard of it because of one particular detail in that. I've heard of it and I've seen like the first 15 minutes of it and I hated it and so I stopped yeah that was also before I was enlightened education well I I don't even know if I got to Anthony Head but I didn't (laughs) like it 
And that was before I was this amazing enlightened person that I am now. So I might try it again, maybe? It's not great, but it's got a couple of good songs. And Anthony Stewart Head is pretty wonderful in it. And Paris Hilton almost is not hateable in it. And that's impressive. And Sarah Brightman's very good in it as well. And she's always worth watching. Wait, are you telling me that this is a rock opera starring both Anthony Stewart Head and Paris Hilton? (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) I think my brain just imploded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a couple of the songs are really good. Some of the ideas, and again, dystopian future stuff, but some of the ideas are very, very good. So it's worth going and, and searching out if you can. Okay. Kate, do you have anything you would want to recommend to go on the big list for Mandy? I don't know if you've seen it, so I, I feel as though you saw it on Broadway. Uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, well, I saw it off Broadway. Off I saw the the tour, the Broadway tour when it came locally. Actually, just a couple months ago, I saw it. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah. It was really good. I would really like to see it again because I was with my mom and <laughs> she didn't understand. It, it was really hard to understand because it was so loud and they were screaming, and so sometimes it was really hard to understand the words. <laughs> And and so me focusing on her and, and trying to make sure that she wasn't freaking out <laughs> about what the story was about and that sort of thing was kind of distracting me a little bit. So I would really like to see it again. But what I did see, I really enjoyed. And I liked the songs and I thought the performances were amazing. And if there is a movie version, I would love to see it. And there is. It came out in 2001. It's something that I I always suggest to people who enjoy Rocky Horror. It's not at all the same, but it's got the gender bending and the music. It's a bit more overtly sexual, (laughs) if that's possible. Um, (laughs) So certainly, that's why I started laughing when you said you were with your mom. I got uncomfortable seeing Rent with my mom. um, (laughs) Well, I also saw Rent with my mom this year, so... (laughs) But yes, I would definitely say you should give it a go. Okay. I will I will do that. I will look for that. Kate, do you have any other movies, things that you love that you would want to see if Mandy can put them on the list? Hmm. You know, when I saw this question, I just assumed they had to pertain to Rocky Horror. Have you seen Risk Cutters, A Love Story? I'm literally looking I at my movies so. right now. <laughs> no, I, I think so. Is that the one where he dies and is in, like, purgatory and then starts looking for this girl that he loves who killed herself well maybe uh, some yeah basically <laughs> so it sounds like you did see it i just love the crap out of that movie so figured I might I, as well if it was it. a book first i either read the book or i saw the movie and just have very vague memories of it it's a novella but i feel like i yeah. did see it i think i read the novella and did not see the movie when it came out but i wanted to see the movie you should definitely see the movie it's it's awesome <laughs> okay um and i know you're not hot on kevin smith but have you guys talked about dogma i've seen dogma okay that's just the best one so that's uh, yeah i I like dogma (laughs) and i know you're already thinking about covering some ghibli films because i was about to suggest mononoke or we do have spirited away scheduled that's going to come up in a couple months and i think there are a few others on the list and we've talked about some that we haven't officially put on the list but i'm mostly letting matthew manage that is Howl's moving castle on it yes okay yes (laughs) Um, I, I've kind of gotten to the point with the list where I'm just letting Matthew tell me what I have to watch. <laughs> you know, that, that's where we are. So. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> yes, then... House Moving Castle is on there. I, I want to see how the first one goes because they're so abstract and there's the thing that it is obviously a foreign film as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. And the yeah. only other thing that's coming to mind at this exact moment is Inglorious Bastards, which I know I've suggested to you like 80 times already. But would that be a long podcast? 
Yeah, well, it is officially on the list, and we do have noted that you love it. So if, if we ever do actually do that one, um, I'm sure we would invite you to come be on it with us. Excellent. I have a friend who listens to the podcast who keeps asking me about this movie and keeps telling me, you don't even have to watch the whole movie. Just watch the first 10 minutes. He's like, that's his own self-contained thing. And I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about. But he keeps wanting me to go on YouTube and just watch the first bit of Inglorious Bastards. And I don't know why. <laughs> But it makes me think that we need to do this movie. <laughs> so there you go. Beautiful. The first 10 minutes, that is that encompasses a lot of the film and the way that it's shot and the attention to detail. So I can see why that joke occurs. <laughs> okay. I don't even know what it's about, honestly. I know George Clooney's in it, right? No. No? Crap, what am I thinking about? You're thinking about Monument Men? Yeah, I don't Who's in Inglorious Bastards? Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt is the biggest name. Oh, that's why. I mean, Brad Pitt and George Clooney are basically the same to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. One, one of them likes coffee. <laughs> one of them likes other stuff that uh, I'm not going to get into. <laughs> okay. Uh, l- let's move on. <laughs> let's move on and, and do my favorite part of the show. Well, actually, I can't say that for this one because I've loved this whole show. It's been so awesome talking to you guys. But in general, my favorite part is listener feedback. We have a few folks who have sent us some comments on our recent episodes. Jazzy at Jawsbot7 on Twitter said that she had never seen Jaws either, but there's floating decapitated heads. Hashtag sign me up. <laughs> That's my so. fetish. <laughs> Sadly, Jazzy, there's only one floating decapitated head, but that means you should still watch it. There's always a rewind button, you know. Can't get enough of it. <laughs> Garrett at Garrett CRW said, there's something I find awesome about Mandy Kay giving away spoilers on PC Deprived. (laughs) And that was in response to me talking about William Shatner's Spider movie at the end of the Jaws episode. And I almost want to apologize for it because I'm so anti-spoiler, but guys, that movie came out in the 70s. So (laughs) I don't really feel bad about spoiling it. You know, in fact, I'm going to do it again. They all die and the spiders win. (laughs) At Rockstander said that uh, I know you didn't sound too enthused for another season of Farscape. However, season three is spectacular. I challenge you to compare episode 15 in Infinite Possibilities to any other series and how it deals with a single subject in such a unique way. By the time this comes out, Farscape season three episode will have come out and obviously Mandy adored it. It was amazing and she couldn't wait to dive into season four. Uh... I will say we are still doing season four. Yeah. So... You will get to hear my opinions on all the seasons of Farscape. So I uh, hope you keep listening and you don't hate me. But he is very, very right. That is a terrific episode. That's the one on the desert planet. I know. Whiten and the wormhole stuff. I know. I looked it up. And yes, Matthew. Yes, it's a terrific episode. That was that was what won me over. You will have already heard the, the season three episode by the time you're listening to this. And I am not going to lie just to pander to our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so I shouldn't? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me before? Well, if you want to get in touch and give us your comments on this or any other movie we've discussed, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can also email us using podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can comment on this post on eloquentgushing.com. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vos. I want to say thank you very much, Kate, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, where thank can people much. find you in the world? <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Uh, you can find me at my personal Twitter at I Do Human Things. Uh, as mentioned earlier, <laughs> I also uh, <laughs> I also have a a podcast that I'm doing with my partner uh, Socks, and that you can contact us directly at Sleep 
at D-I-F-A-S-L-E-E-P. Um, give us a listen if, if you want to listen to us say things about an old unsuccessful show. I really want to listen to this podcast, but I can't because I haven't seen Dollhouse and it's not available anywhere unless I buy it on DVD. Oh, no. So one day maybe I will listen to your podcast. I understand. And for some reason, season two is available on the US Netflix, but not season one. It's very rude, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> one day, Kate, I promise I will listen. We'll have other yeah, podcasts we- too. <laughs> We've really been enjoying it, but we had to go and buy it on DVD as well. But yeah, it's been terrific hearing you get into all the nitty gritty of a show that it is quite controversial in places and, and has some great points and some bad points. So it's nice to hear about. Thank you. Everyone, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes and recommend us to a friend. The best way to help other people discover the show and help us grow and get more feedback and information. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Gross Point Blank with New York Times bestselling author Kevin Hearn. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm cold, I'm wet, and I'm just plain scared. In the back row. Oh, oh. To the late night double feature picture show.